Are you between a rock and a hard place? Are you not sure if you're a sinner or a saint? Do you think you've lost your salvation? Let me take you to the New King James Version. In the book of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 12 through 14, and Jesus says, What do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray? Does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is strained? And if he should find it, assuredly, I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the 99 that did not go astray. Welcome to Save the Lost at All Costs. Posted by Save the Lost at All Costs, Inc. Featuring your sister in Christ and humble servant of the Lord, Nina S. Griffin. Good afternoon. You're listening to Sister Nina S. Griffin, and we are on Save the Lost at All Costs. We're going to open up the phone lines right away. If you're local and like to join in on our discussion today, have a praise report, a prayer request, we'd love to hear from you. 702-650-5588. Again, locally, 702-650-5588. If you're calling outside the Las Vegas area, we do have a toll-free number for you. That number would be 800-366-8883. I say again, calling outside the Las Vegas area, we do have a toll-free number for you, 800-366-8883. We are being heard on the AM dial in Las Vegas, KKVV, 1060 AM, and on the FM dial, 101.5 FM. We're also being streamed live, video, and audio from KKVV's website, which is www.kkvv.com. Hello and God bless. I just waved to you. We're also being streamed from Save the Lost at All Costs' website. Our website address is www.savethelostlv.org. If you have missed any of our previous broadcasts, please visit our website. Again, that website address is www.savethelostlv.org. Just select the date that you like to listen to. I encourage you to listen to part one if you haven't heard it because we're going into part two today, the importance of the Jerusalem Council. Just select what you like. The gospel is always free on our watch. Uh, In addition to that, we are being archived on iTunes. So if you have an Apple product, whatever it may be, uh, just know that you can listen again through iTunes and the gospel is always free on our watch. We do have a cell phone number that you can dial to listen to our radio ministry to include KKVV. And that number would be 1-563-999-3194. Again, to call on your cell phone and to listen to today's broadcast as well as the radio station, that would be 1-563-999-3194. That phone number will only work uh, inside the United States. We like to ask you to remember Brother Vernon in prayer. He's not feeling well today, but I know the Lord uh, is going to heal him, and we will see the manifestation of our prayers, and he will be back next Sunday. I am confident of that. Well, we're going to continue with uh, part two, and we're talking about the importance of the Jerusalem Council. We also have our wonderful VIP guest, who is a dear brother in Christ, a minister of the gospel, uh, my first cousin, Timothy Cunningham. How are you, man of God? Doing fine. How are you, Nina? I am wonderful, and I'm glad that you took time out of your schedule to be with us today and continue this wonderful move of God, this important work. Amen? 
Amen. So I would like for you to read for us, as you can see, um, Vernon is not here, but we will still go forth with what we do have. Amen? Amen. So if we would get started in Acts 15. So if you would read the whole entire chapter, and then we will start breaking it down, exegeting it as God would have us to do. Please. Okay. And what version are you reading from too, man of God? New American Standard. All right. Thank you. I'm ready when you are, sir. Okay. Acts chapter 15. Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. Verse 3. Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and were bringing great joy to all the brethren. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. Verse 6. The apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter, and there had been much debate. Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God said, Who knows the heart? Testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. And he made us no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Verse 10. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we are saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus in the same way as they are also. Verse 12. All the people kept silent, and they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Verse 13. After they had stopped speaking, James answered, saying, Brethren, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. With this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After these things I will return, and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David which has fallen, and I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called my by my name, says the Lord who makes all things known from long ago. Verse 19. Therefore it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles, but that we write to them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols and from fornication and from what is strangely mixed with blood. For Moses from ancient generations has in every city those who preach him, since he is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Verse 22, then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, Judas called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren, and they sent this letter by them. The apostles and the brethren who are elders to the brethren in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, who are from the Gentiles, greetings, since we have heard that some of our number to whom we gave no instruction, have disturbed you with their words, unsettling your souls. Verse 25, it seemed good to us, having become one mind, 
to select men to send to you with our beloved Barabbas, Barnabas, I'm sorry, and Paul, Mm -hmm. men who have risked their lives in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we have sent Judas and Silas to themselves who also report the same things by the word of mouth. Verse 28. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials. Verse 29. That you abstain from things sacrificed to idols and from blood and from things strangely strangled and from fornication. If you keep yourselves free from such things, you will do well. Farewell. Verse 30. So when they were sent away, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. Verse 31. When they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Judas and Silas, also being prophets themselves, encouraged and strengthened the brethren with a lengthy message. After they had spent time there, they were sent away from the brethren in peace to those who had sent them out. But it seemed good to Silas to remain there. Verse 35. But Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch, teaching and preaching with many others also the word of the Lord. Verse 36. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return to visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with them also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along, who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement, they separated from one another, and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord, verse 41, and he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Amen. So we just did chapter 15 in Acts, correct? That is correct. All right, so I want us to... uh... <clears throat> Talk a little bit about, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees and the Pharisees were sects within Judaism. The Sadducees denied the resurrection of the dead as well as an afterlife, saying that souls ceased to exist after death. The Pharisees believed in life after death, the resurrection of the body, the importance of keeping rituals, and the need to convert Gentiles. Now, believe it or not, the term heresy came to designate divisions, schisms, and factions which had held divergent opinions within the early church. So now we're seeing how the word heresy actually evolved because it comes from a Greek word that means choice. So we see right now that we're having a big disagreement into what Jesus says is quintessential for salvation. And it has nothing to do with works. It's the doctrine of grace. So by having someone having to be Jewish before they became Christian or come unto the faith, that's works. That is right. So then if that's the case then salvation is not available based on the doctrine of grace. So this was so important that it had to be addressed. And it would be great for those of us who are in the faith to consider having these type of meetings so that we survive. Because we don't want to be 
separated from God. And when you teach something that's heretic, that's causing division, woe unto you. That's right. So I want us to look at Acts 13, verse 39. And I am in the New King James Version. So I am going to go to Acts 13, verse 39. And the Word of God says this. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Now, the Pharisees were very, very strict adherent to the word. It said that you couldn't be justified by the law. So now this is one of the reasons why we had to get clarity on that. Now I'd like us to go to Acts 14. And we want to look at verses 14 and 15. Again, I'm in Acts 14, and I'm looking at verses 14 and 15. And the Word of God says this. I'm in the New King James Version. 14, but when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out, 15, and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all things that are in them. Again, they were worshiping idols. They were doing works of idolatry. Works. Works cannot do anything for you as opposed to salvation. Salvation, again, comes by grace and faith in Christ alone. No works, no human works can cause you to be saved. And a lot of our brothers and sisters, uh, Brother Tim, are falling asleep. So I would like us to start looking at Acts 15 and start breaking down uh, the scriptures. So we go back into Acts 15. Uh, Brother Tim, you said that when you read verse 1, it said that certain men had came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Again, they are telling people that they cannot be saved unless they adhere to the customs of Moses. And that is right. talking about circumcision. Yes, that said that that is a requirement. So basically, you have to uh, adhere to Jewish custom before you could be saved and then you could become a Christian. But first you had to adhere to what the Pharisees had wanted. That's right. Okay, so that was and and that's what caused the the great division that started the whole um, Jerusalem Council. I agree. Well, the thing is, is that it also puts in jeopardy what Paul and Barnabas had done. They had went out uh, and had converted a lot of people to Christianity. And none of those people were circumcised. And none of them were adhering to a lot of the Jewish customs. So do you say that these people are not saved? You can imagine uh, the multitudes that felt that, you know, what about my salvation? So, yeah, and, and, and two of the uh, most prominent ones in Acts that were Gentiles that were converted to Christianity were 
the Ethiopian eunuch and Cornelius, and neither one of them were commanded to be circumcised. And you will remember last week when we read in Acts 10, it talked about not only did Cornelius get saved, but his whole household got saved. That would be his family as well as anyone that was in his care, like his slaves or were working for him, his whole household. Yes. And also, uh, Nina, I'd like, like to point out, if you go to Acts 15, verses 10 and 11. Okay. Um, you want to read that for us again in case someone just joined us, please? Yes. Um, verse 10 says, Now therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. I think that's an interesting um, use of words. You know, a yoke was, in, in that context there, it's a description of the law and legalism of the scribes and Pharisees. You know, the legalists expected the Gentiles to carry a load that they themselves were unwilling to bear. And I think that's, I think that's great that they, that he, that, uh, they meant to, Peter mentioned that, when he said it, he described it as a yoke. He's saying, basically, you are asking us to do something that you aren't even doing. But he goes on to say, salvation is not by putting on that yoke. It's about being saved through grace, which he says they are also saved by that same grace as we are. So he is equating, Peter he is equating his salvation as the same as the Gentile salvation. Well, you remember also Peter had a dream. And Jesus instructed him, don't call something unclean that I do not call unclean. Right. And so yes. subsequently, he knew by that dream that he was being talked to directly about some of his beliefs as to what he thought salvation was about. That to make it perfectly clear, because Peter was the first of the apostles who brought the gospel to the Gentiles. Now, if there was a discrepancy amongst these that have been selected by Jesus, we would have a serious problem. I agree totally with that. And another passage that goes right with that Acts 15 verse is Galatians 6.13. And Paul said, For those who were circumcised do not even keep the law themselves. Exactly. But they desire to have you circumcised so that they can boast in your flesh. In other words, for them, they were circumcision was more of for them to boast in what you have accomplished through the law. But they weren't even keeping the law themselves, and they were actually circumcised. So in Galatians 6, Paul is showing the hypocrisy there. You're saying in one, in one uh, breath that you need to be circumcised to be saved, but yet... You're circumcised, and you don't even obey God even after you are circumcised. Well, if we go to Acts 26, and we look at verses uh, 4 through 6, I'd like to bring something out to you, why Paul was so passionate, why he was so flat-footed in this. And again, I'm in Acts 26. I'm in the New King James Version. Now, Paul is talking to uh, uh, Agrippa which is, you know, you have Herod, and then you have his grandson, who is Herod Agrippa. So he is talking to him in this particular context. So he says, uh, verse 4, My manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. Five, they knew me from the first. 
if they were willing to testify that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. He knows exactly what they're thinking. He knows exactly what they're taught. He knows exactly how they hold their piety, as you were saying, being very proud of that to the point where they were larding it over others. So it's very important that Paul was the one that was actually sent as, as well as with Barnabas to the uh, council because it was so important because Paul would be able to look them in their face and it wasn't like, well, he doesn't understand. Oh, Paul knew them and Paul knew them well because at one time he was one of them. That's right. That's right, and he knew their line of thinking. He knew their arguments before they would even question him because he knew the background. Exactly. It is. This this is just so rich. Now, another thing, uh, Nehemiah, especially in chapter 13, <clears throat> if you were to look at the whole chapter, it talks about, and this is the building of the second temple, it talks about how none of them, and we're talking about none of the elders, none of the priests, none of the Levites actually adhered to the law of Moses. He talked about them uh, working on the Sabbath. He talked about them marrying women who were not of their lineage. He talked about them being unfair and hostile and violent. The whole chapter talks about how none of them kept the law and that Nehemiah was praying for mercy from God to forgive them for what they have done. Now, this is those that are working in the temple. Those that are in their lineage were set apart to serve in the house and they couldn't even do it. Yes. So, I mean, this is valiant. And then if we look at... um chapter 15 and we looked at some verses that they quoted previous scripture and that comes from the book of Amos and if we look at that we will see that I believe I want to make sure that I get the chapter right so let me go over back here I'm looking at maps right here I apologize help me Holy Spirit I'm getting back to it but Amos chapter 9 verses 11 through 12 so brother Tim can you take us to Amos chapter 9 uh, verses uh, 11 through 12 and this is what is being quoted in Acts 15 verses 16 17 I'd like our listeners to see that for themselves now as you know Amos came way before uh, the Acts of the Apostle. Amen? That's right. Amen. And, and, and Amos was a rough prophet. He, he wasn't like uh, uh, Jeremiah who actually grew up priestly. His relatives okay. weren't like that. He, he, he came from, from a rough right out there in, in the wilderness. Amen? Amen. Okay, here is Amos 9, 11, and 12. Mm-hmm. Um, talking about the restoration of Israel. In that day I will raise up the fallen booth of David and wall up its breaches. I will also raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. Verse 12, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Right. The thing is, is that he's saying that he will set it up. He will rebuild the tabernacle of David and that 
anybody who was called by his name. And he's talking about Edom. That is not the house of Israel. That is speaking to the Gentiles specifically. So it's important that he has already, he being the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, has already embraced the Gentiles because they will be called by his name based on salvation. See, we get a new name and a new identity based on salvation. Wouldn't you agree, Brother Tim? I do. I agree with that. And and see, a lot of people, you know, are, are saying, well, faith without works is dead. Really? <clears throat> well, the thing is, is you have to have the Holy Spirit in you because those are the works that uh, Jesus is looking at. Why would he look at works before that when you weren't even a believer? Yes. And how, I think, how, how, uh, how can you bring those works to him? That's not even worship. You have to worship him in spirit and truth. So how can you bring works when you're an unbeliever and try to justify that as suitable worship? You can't. Once you become into a relationship with him, it will be evidence of a change, of a transformation. And those works will be of a divine nature, not of something that is not of God. Yes, uh I agree with that. When it, James says that faith without works is dead, it just means that um, the Bible, he goes on to say, you say you have faith and I have works, show me your faith and I'll show you my faith by my works. Amen. So what he basically is saying is that faith is evidence of works, I'm sorry, is evidence of salvation. It is not the essence of salvation. It is not what salvation is. It's the byproduct of salvation. In other words, you, or you can say it like this, you don't do good works to get saved. You don't. You do good works because you are saved. Wow! Say that again. That is prolific. Could you please say that again? You don't do good works to get saved. You do good works because you are saved. In fact, any any good work that you do prior to coming to Christ is righteousness that is like filthy rags that Isaiah calls. It means nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, only works done. Um, through the power of the Holy Spirit, um, with the right motives um, to honor and, pr- and please God, are works that he honors. All other works, it doesn't mean anything. That's exactly what Paul meant in Philippians 3 when he gave you his list of credentials, and he said they're all nothing but a pile of rubbish. All of his uh, education, all of his um, ceremonies and rituals didn't mean anything. The only thing that he, and then he goes on in Philippians say, to go on to say, not having a righteousness which is from the law, mm-hmm. but a righteousness which is from faith in Jesus Christ. So he laid it out very clearly, too, that you don't do good works to get saved. You do good works because you are saved. And that's what James meant when he said faith without works is dead. You, and I've, I've, I'm teaching a Bible study at my school this year with other teachers, and I make the point all the time that um, if you say that you're a believer, but you have no hunger for the Word of God, you have no desire for church, you have no desire to walk in the Spirit, you have no uh, longing to please Him and to stay in His will, then you need to, uh, you might want to question uh, right. whether your, or not your, your conversion. Very, you need to question right. your conversion. Yeah, because if you are, because when God, there, Nina, very simply put, there's no person in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation whom God has taken over their life and they haven't changed. Exactly. They're changed. Exactly. Everybody. The Bible is full of stories of sinners who have been converted and the Holy Spirit has overtaken them and it changed their mind, it changed every, their heart, everything. 
So if God is really in you, you will have a change of lifestyle, a change of speaking, a change of thinking, a change of beliefs. Everything will be filtered through the Bible, through the Word of God. It's no longer your opinion. Your opinion doesn't matter, neither does mine. The only thing that matters is what thus saith the Lord. Amen. And going back to your point in Philippians 3, uh, verse 5, I'm in the New King James Version, and I like to read what verse 5 says, and you were talking about Paul talking about his uh, credentials. Now he says, verse 5, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. Of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning, and now let's look at verse 6, 6, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness, which is the law, blameless. 7, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. 8, yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Nine, and being found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. 11, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Wow. That's awesome. That is one of the most powerful justification by faith passages in the Bible. Amen. Well, that you have, you have probably other than Jesus Christ, the greatest Christian to ever walk on the planet, and he's telling everybody, I didn't have it all. I thought I did, but when I got converted, I realized that everything I thought was, was gain was actually loss. It meant nothing. Paul was on his way to hell unless he had found the Lord. Amen. Amen. But I, but, but I love, Nina, in staying in that chapter, I love in verse 12 when he continues, he says, not that I've already obtained or have already become perfect. So he's even saying, yes, I I, I found the Lord. I know him, but I'm still striving. I'm still continuing to know him more and more every day. He says, I press on that I may lay hold of that which has been laid hold of me by Christ Jesus. One thing I do, forgetting what's behind, Mm -hmm. reaching for what's ahead, I press toward the goal of the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. And then here's, here, here's the key right here, verse 15. Let us, therefore, as many as are mature, mm-hmm. have this attitude. That is monumental statement. Amen. Mature, mature believers in Christ will understand, one, I'm not saved by works. Two, I can't get to heaven on my own. Three, I have to know him. And once I know the Lord and he's revealed himself to me, I'm not satisfied. I continue, as Paul said, not that I've obtained everything or become mature, but I press on. That's a that's an amazing passage of scripture. Yes, it is. And it keeps us humble because everyone knows who Paul was. Yes. But even he didn't think much of himself because he was nothing without Christ. And he wanted the same for his brothers and sisters. He wanted them to know that. And he always 
was willing to, to lose his life for it. You know, th- th- that says a lot. He's really a brother because he, he wanted to lay down his life, and not many will do that. And the scriptures and tell another, us that. And another uh, thing I want to mention, Nina, we, you know, since we're talking about salvation by grace mm-hmm. through uh, faith and not works, another great verse is First John 1, 6, and he says, If we say we have fellowship with him, but walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And him being the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes. So if you say that you know the Lord, but you have no fruit, you have no evidence, Mm -hmm. and your lifestyle is a lifestyle that's characterized by darkness and sin and, and walking in darkness, you are lying to yourself and you do not practice the truth. That is, it's First John is, what I love about that book is that it's so straightforward and to the point. Oh, yes, very much so. Now, uh, I want to go back to Acts 15, and we were okay. uh, looking at um, verse 5. This is, this is very important here, and I'm in the New King, excuse me, in the New King James Version. 5, but some of the sect <clears throat> of the Pharisees who believe rose up saying, it is is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Do you see that? It says a certain sect. It says they rose up and said that it is necessary to circumcise them, to command them, command them, really? To keep the law of Moses. Now, does that sound cult-like to you? Yes, it does. And it just is, uh, yeah, I agree. And it's wrong. But what's even more stands out to me, Nina, even more than that, is that how quickly they were shut down. Right. How quickly Peter and Paul and Barnabas and James stood up and shut it down. So but, when false but, when, when false doctrine was being taught, right. they didn't they weren't politically correct. Nope. They weren't worrying about offending. They weren't worried about being characterized as divisive or unloving. They stood up and shot it down. But guess what? They weren't being afraid to be thrown out of a, a false denomination. No. They didn't they didn't care about that. They didn't care about well how many years have I stayed here and you know I got this particular seat at the church and you know I'm on this committee and, and I've got this job. They didn't even care about that. That wasn't important because it was important that they understood that salvation was by the grace of God. It had nothing to do with works. And like I said, it was a few. It said a few out of a sect of Pharisees. It wasn't done take but a few. A few is is two. It's more than one. That's all a few is. It's more than one. And that's all it took. And they rose up as if they had been given some spiritual authority. See, talking godly, wearing godly clothes, being in a, a location that has God's name on it d- does not give you any authority. It doesn't give you any authority. You know, at the end of the day, man of God, we all have to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. So what well, possibly I, I, could, I, you, could I, you tell the Holy Spirit? What possibly could you give the reason of, that you were doing this or going along with this when you know the truth. See, that's just the thing right here. They knew the truth and they denied the truth. And I want you to speak to me, Brother Tim, please. Well, and look at verse 7, and there's a key phrase that I'm going to point out. Uh, after uh, Peter stood up, it said, after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days, and here's the key phrase, mm-hmm. God made a choice. Mm. God made a choice among you, and here's the choice, that by my mouth, 
the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. So here's where I'm going. It was God's design that the Gentiles hear the gospel. Mm-hmm. And they were going and Peter had a commission mm-hmm. to preach to the Gentiles and he wasn't going to let anybody stop them because he says it's not my choice, it's God's choice. Where did he get that? From the dream. Amen. The dream told him that. And so here's basically what they're saying. If God did not require any additional qualifications for salvation, then neither should they. Well, you also remember it was personal for Peter, too, because he was recommissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And what did he say? Feed my sheep. But it was important that he established did he love him, because in loving him meant suffering in a way that he had never, ever known before. He had suffered, yes, because he denied him, but this was a whole nother different level. This was going to be suffering unto death. It's going to be suffering unto death. And he just said, feed my sheep. But he had to establish that, you know, we got to move all that out of the way. What your perception of love is, because the perception of love, my love is, is to take care of my sheep. And what, and what Peter's doing here right away in his argument Mm -hmm. is he's establishing God as the author of salvation. Amen. Notice he says in verse 7, God made a choice. Verse 8, and God who knows the heart. Mm-hmm. Verse 9, and he, referring to God, made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Amen. Verse 10, now therefore, why do you put God to the test? Mm-hmm. So he, early on in his argument, he establishes God sets the standard for salvation, mm-hmm. not you. Right. But he it's says that you your, didn't even put, you, you didn't put me to the test. You're putting God to the test. He is yeah. humbly removing himself. And people know the authority that Paul, excuse me, that Peter has. But the thing is, is that you're going to face him. You claim that you're doing this for him. You're not doing it for me. You claim that you're doing it for God. So sometimes we really need to check our motives. Is it about a person? Is it about a thing? Or is it about God? We have to move persons and things out the way because it can hinder us, man of God. I agree. And I think, Lena, also, even a, probably even a more practical lesson for today mm-hmm. is that when believers get into discussions with unbelievers or or, or lukewarm Christians, or lukewarm Christians. Or, or, right, and, and, and what they need to do is, is stop getting into debates and giving opinions. Mm-hmm. What you need to do is tell them what the Word of God says. Amen. And when you do that, from that eliminates you from the equation, and now it puts them in a dilemma. Either they're going to agree with what the Bible says, or sure. they're not. Amen. And, and, that, and that's exactly what the prophets do when they kept saying, and the Lord said, Amen. thus saith the Lord. It's right. not me. This is what God has already said. So what Peter has done here in his opening remarks is that he has established it's God you have to deal with, not me. Amen. And the thing is, is that in verse 12, it says, and all the multitudes kept silent and listened yeah. to Barnabas and Paul declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. See, it's God doing the work. Exactly. They, they were just the vessel. They never claimed that they were doing the work. It was God's miracle signs and wonders. And they are testifying to that, giving the testimony, because guess what? They're eyewitnesses to that. And a lot yes. of people want to talk about things that they know nothing about. But these, say, but these two guys, they knew exactly what they were talking about because they had seen it and they knew that God had used them. Amen. 
Amen. And God does not work miracles to confirm and validate false teachers. No, no, not at all. And the fact that Paul and Barnabas were able to do miracles and signs, and as a result, Gentiles believed and were saved, is proof that salvation is by God's grace. Amen. Paul and Barnabas preached grace through faith, and to confirm that true teaching, God gave them the power to do miracles. Amen. And we already looked at verses 16 through 17 because we talked about Amos, but that God had first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. I mean, this is miraculous. For those who are not of a Jewish lineage, this is not required. It says Gentile. Gentile, by definition, means non-Jewish. Amen? Yes. And he said he took them out, a portion of them, and gave them his name, him being God. Amen? I mean, I'm just really, really just excited about this, right? Uh, In 18, it says, known to God from eternity are all his works. Not our works. They're his works. Yes. (laughs) And 19, therefore I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God. It's his kingdom that's being built. It's adding numbers to his kingdom. Uh, Your church is not your church. You're a steward over those people who come to that building. But the church is the called out ones. It's the ecclesia. And a lot of people are being caught up and very covetous about a particular address. And no, no, no. Don't start claiming things that aren't yours. Well, yeah, and the, the, there's a difference between the local church and the body of Christ. Amen. The, the local church is the local assembly, but um, when the Bible speaks of the church, it's talking about the body of Christ. Amen. For example, when, when Jesus comes back for his church, he's not coming back for my church only. No. no, I Or your that. church only. Right. He's coming back for all saints, all believers. So that when, when the Bible says that Christ... Um, the, the, the bride and the church, he's talking sure. about the universal church of Jesus Christ. I, re- I receive that, and not a local denomination or a local address. I yes. receive that. Now, when we get into verse 20, it talks about uh, the things that they want these new converts to concentrate on. It talks about to abstain from things that have been polluted by idols from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses has, throughout many generations, those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. So the thing is, is that we had to get along. The Gentiles had to get along with the Jewish people who were being converted. So uh, when we look at Leviticus 17 and 18 it talks about marriage and it talks about relationships and how there are certain people uh, we should not be fornicating with and nor should we be trying to uh, totally be an abomination as far as marriage those laws have been set up in Leviticus 17 and 18 so you have to understand these people have to get along and then we know how uh, they felt about certain meats and how they were treated so that's why they 
were saying, you know, you, you can't have this stuff that is being sacrificed to idols. It, it, it's not it's not going to work. It doesn't do anybody any good because we have to uh, agree that we want to do things that honor God. And this does not bring honor to God. And it, it further goes on to say that, you know, if, if you could do this, you'd be doing well for yourself. So these things that were, were very important. And then the letter went out. Uh, when we look at verses 22 through 29, they agreed on a letter that was going to go out. So guess what? Paul and uh, Barnabas went back to where they had come from. And they are warmly received with what the council had decided. And they all came together because they understood that it was about God at that particular time. All the man had left them. And at the end of the day, it was about what God wanted. And salvation was so important and they understood that it was by grace. So they come back and then now that they've come back from where they were sent from, now they're able to go out on the respective mission to build the kingdom with the right mindset and on one accord. I just think it is truly brilliant what happened here. Yes, I agree um, with that. And um, I think what, what, like, what kind of piggyback what you said, I think what you see in 20 uh, and 21 is that um, James and, and, and the other leaders there, Paul, Barnabas, and Peter, did not want the Gentiles to revel in their freedom in Christ. In other words, you're saved by grace, right. but don't, don't revel in that. Don't, don't put that into the face of Jews who have their own customs and traditions. And, and it wasn't anything wrong with their customs and traditions. That, no. The Bible never spoke against that. But, they, but to think <laughs> that that was means of salvation is what the Bible spoke against. But they just warned them, said, look, you're saved. You're in the kingdom. You've been saved by grace. Um, but don't do anything that's going to cause another brother to stumble. Right. And I think we see that same principle in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, um, verse 9, um, when Paul was basically talking about meat offered to idols and uh, weak conscience of brothers and things like that. And he mm -hmm. says in verse 9, but take care of that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Right. So they're basically they were just saying you, you're saved by grace, but abstain from things that's going to offend other people so we can maintain unity. Exactly. It's important. Um, you know, when we uh, look at the Bible, there are plenty of wonderful instructions for us to live by because it is about unity. It is about how we can live a better life more abundantly. So, you know, I adhere to what these instructions are. They're, they're well thought out, they're eternal, and they reap you great rewards. And they make the word of God authentic, as we talked about the transformation. Because if you're constantly fighting with the word of God, you're constantly fighting with those that have been sent to help you and to take you to the next level so that you can have a great journey to impart upon somebody else, then again, we have to question you know, your salvation, is it really real? How long are you going to be warring with the word of God? And, yes. and what good does that do? Because uh, it says obedience is better than uh, sacrifice. So we have to ask ourselves, how long are you going to fight this? 
And, and for what? And to whose benefit if you claim you are a believer? See, that's your definition. That's your testimony. So, you know, we have to, you have to put it to the test. Now, uh, Brother Tim, I'd like us to go to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4 because um, there are some reminders that uh, Paul is instructing uh, his uh, up and cunning protege who will be taken over uh, as Paul is decreasing because uh, his assignment is coming to a conclusion. Amen. So he is raising up uh, Timothy and uh, Titus. But we get here when we're looking at uh, chapter four, we're in first Timothy, we're looking at chapter four. And I would like us to read um, the first uh I would go with uh, 11 verses. Would you bless us with that, please? Yes, I can. Uh, 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 11. um, But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons, by means of hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in, by those who believe and know the truth. Verse 4. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude, for it is sanctified by means of the word of God in prayer. Verse 6. In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of faith and of sound doctrine which you have been following, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, for bodily discipline is only little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, and since holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Verse 9. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance, for it is for, it is for this we labor and strive, because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Verse 11 prescribe and teach these things amen so the thing is is that when we look at acts 15 we see that the men that challenged what jesus had already established about salvation uh were the pharisees and it was a sect of them Uh, those will be called judaizers right because they were the ones that wanted to adhere to jewish customs and that they wanted them to become Jewish first before they would be able to become Christians and receive salvation. They thought that you had to be circumcised in order to receive salvation. So there are modern day Judaizers that are out there now who are yes. taking the word of God and making it heretic. Yes. And the word of God is not heretic. Their own individual opinions and beliefs and mysticisms have distorted and they are causing many people to stumble. So I would encourage my listeners that if you are going to a particular body of Christ, local body, and it is a particular denomination, I would love for you to do what we call the Genesis Go back to where it began. See what century it was in. Is it in the 20th century, 21st century? That's relatively new. And was it 
formed and started by a man who actually had a disagreement with a body that was adhering to the word of God. And that could be for women too. There are women who have started movements. There are men who have started movements and see who you are really hanging your faith on to. Because a lot of people, man of God, are being seduced by movements and denominations that they really think are based on the word of God. And they really aren't. They're actually based on rituals and men's traditions and things that they have fell out about. And they really should do their research. And they will find out that it's not lining up. And once they find that out, then have humility and go to God and seek God's direction and forgiveness. It's okay to have the scales to fall off your eyes. That's not a bad thing. Look at Paul as an example. Paul wasn't satisfied with being a Pharisee anymore, was he, Brother Tim? No. He, uh, when he got called, he was, he, his whole heart and life was transformed. So I, I want people to do their homework and do their due diligence. Go back to the Genesis. And if you really are feeling passionate about this movement that you're involved in, this denomination that you're involved in, see if it started by a man or a woman that had some real questionable teachings and responses to the word of God, because that's rebellion. We need to have the scales come off our eyes in the season called now. Brother Tim, we love you. Thank you for ministering with us. Uh, we hope to have you back real soon. And I pray that this lesson, part two, the importance of the Jerusalem Council, blessed our listeners. And as we say it down here, save the loss at all costs. And God bless. We love you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. It is our humble prayer that the Most High God of all creation and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, continues to bless you and yours without cease for tuning in today and supporting this great move of God with your generous donations. Save the Lost at All Costs is a Holy Spirit-filled, live called-in weekly radio ministry that has been airing since 2005 and serving in the greater Las Vegas community. We can be heard every Sunday at 3.02 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on Las Vegas. Vegas's very own Christian Talk radio stations, 1060 AM and 101.5 FM. Also, we are audio and video streamed in real time during our live broadcast at www.kkvv.com and our website, www.savethelostlv.org. If you would like to re-listen to a previous broadcast at no charge, make an online secure donation, or learn more about our ministry, please visit our website at www.savethelostlv.org. If you prefer, you can mail in a donation. Address it to Save the Lost at All Cost, Inc., P.O. Box number 335852, North Las Vegas, 89033. Again, our P.O. Box number is 335852, North Las Vegas, 89033. 
All donations made to Save the Lost at All Costs, Inc. are 100% tax deductible. For more information, please feel free to call or text us at 702-219-6882. Again, 702-219-6882. We would like to thank you again. Remember to remain in Christ, stay prayed up, tune in, and don't forget to save the lost at all costs, no matter what.